Well, we continue our study in the life of Jesus Christ today from the uh, Gospel of Jesus according to Mark. And, uh, you know, we're, we're approaching a key turning point with the disciples. We're, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Uh, the, this turning point is going to come, though, in the minds and the hearts of the uh, disciples about uh, who Jesus really is. And uh, Mark, Mark's been building up to this point from, this, from the start. And um, you know, there, there's still some crucial lessons that Jesus needs to teach the disciples before, before they get it. And the, uh, Jesus, in Mark 8, which is uh, where we're at today, uh, Jesus is teaching a lesson on unbelief unbelief and uh, you know we've we've seen from the start of this gospel that unbelief is a issue it's a it's a problem you know and, and granted the disciples have had some victories in faith uh, you know first they they left everything and, and followed Jesus you know that's you really think about it that's a that's a tremendous step of faith to step out to leave behind their their livelihood their their families, uh, just in you know, giving it all up to to follow him, and uh, you know, to, to to listen to his teaching, to learn from him, to uh, to learn to to be like him. And uh, they faithfully went out when Jesus uh, sent them out with with authority to preach, uh, to to heal people from sickness, to um, you know, d- deliver people from spiritual oppression. And yet they still don't get it yet. We've, we've seen their faith falter at times. You know, they've, they've seen what he's done. Uh, they, they've heard his teaching. But yet they seem to be uh, blinded by this, this fundamental lack of, of trust in him. You know, by, by unbelief. They, they just don't get it yet. They just don't get it. And, uh, you know, I believe we can see the same tendency in ourselves. You know, when, when things are going well, when the road is smooth, uh, it's easy to have a lot of confidence in God, right? It's easy to feel like our, our faith is strong when we're, when we're not struggling with, with hardship. But, you know, when, when things don't look so good, maybe when resources are really tight, uh, we, we might begin to fret, uh, you know, where, where are we going to get the money to, to pay the bills? Uh, there, there's just so many things that can trip us up. Uh, you know, how am I going to deal with a, a relationship with a person who's really hard to get along with? You know, what, what about our children? You know, they, they don't seem to be growing up in, in the way that maybe we, we think they should. Um, you know, maybe we feel like, you know, if, if God would just give us a sign, then we'd be able to, to trust him. You know, then, then, then our faith would be strong. And this is the kind of thing that we see the disciples, with wrestling, the, the disciples wrestling with today. You know, we've, we've all been there, I think. We can, we can be blinded by our unbelief. And so from today's text, we see uh, two ways which uh, unbelief is, is manifested, exhibited. Uh, unbelief is revealed by fretting over our needs. 
But we also see that unbelief is, is uh, manifested by, by seeking a sign. You know, let's, discuss, let's uh, begin the discussion in uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 1, by looking at a, yet another big miracle. Jesus has performed miracles already. But this, this sets the stage for, for what follows. Look at me. Look with me. You look at me too, but look with me in chapter 8, starting verse 1. So in those days when a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint along the way. And some of them have come from very far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these peoples with, the bre- with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these should also be set before them. And they ate, and they were satisfied. And they took up the the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Uh, This sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Didn't this just happen? Something real similar, you know, uh, a few weeks ago. Jesus fed, it said 5,000 plus women and children. Uh, so how many, how many is that? I don't know. But this time it's a total of 4,000 people, it says. And there's seven loaves this time and a few fish. You know, pretty much the same miracle on a different day, different place, different crowd. But they were hungry and they needed food. And Jesus had compassion on them just as he did the first time. And so we, we see Jesus repeating this, this same miracle. Uh, he can do that, no problem. But what I find remarkable is how the disciples react when Jesus asks them to feed the crowd. You know, um, he says, give them what they, what they need to eat. They've gone three days without, without eating, you know, um, three days without eating. I know some of us squirm when if, if I if I speak too long here, you know, and your your stomach start to rumble, you know, you want to get home. Three days. But anyway, listen to the disciples. He says, or they say, How can one feed these people with the bread with bread in this desolate place? Uh really? Are are they serious here? You know, did did they just say that? Yet Jesus doesn't react with a big sigh or anything, just once again, though, he asks the same question he asked the first time. How many loaves do you have? And he takes the loaves, he blesses them, he feeds the crowd just like the first time. Uh, you know, the, the disciples just don't get it. They, it seems like they have forgotten what he has done in the past. And Jesus sends the crowds away. And he gets back on the boat for the next encounter. This time, uh, with a, he's got an encounter with a, a group of unbelieving Pharisees. And here we see that uh, their unbelief manifests itself in, in demanding a sign. 
Look at verse 10. It says, immediately he got back in, or immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmanatha. Delmanatha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply within his spirit. He said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. You know, really, the, the Pharisees had already made up their mind at this point. You know, and they just, they seemed to be looking for reasons not to believe. You know, they, they came to argue with him. Uh, they, they came to demand something from him that he will not give to them. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, they're, they're asking for a sign. And, uh, you know, really a lot of signs have, have been given up to this point, have they not? <laughs> we just read about one. Uh, you know, first, how's this for a sign from heaven? Remember in chapter 1 where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist? Let me, let me read that. Uh, 1, 10, 11. He came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am pleased, well pleased. Uh, would you consider that a sign from heaven? Absolutely. You know, how, how about the healings? How about the, uh, the deliverance from demons? That we've seen. How about the the blind who he restored sight to, the the deaf who can hear now, the the people who could not walk who are out there walking around now. Are those not signs? Yeah. The wind and the seas obey him. He just fed four thousand people before he fed five thousand plus. You know what what kind of sign are they looking for? You know, their, their unbelief is, is quite remarkable, really. You know, it says that Jesus sighs deeply and says, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Deep sigh. What, is it, what does a deep sigh indicate? You know, there's, there's lots of reasons people sigh. I, I, we probably sigh more than, than we realize. You know, we do it pretty frequently, and I've, I've read there are physiological reasons. It, it helps us. It keeps our, our lungs healthy. Um, there are other reasons we sigh. You know, sometimes it's, a, it's an indication of uh, resignation, uh, frustration, disappointment. Jesus gave a, a deep sigh. And I can only imagine the disappointment that he's experiencing here of those who were supposed to be leaders of God's people. People who are supposed to be uh, experts in teaching God's word. And he says, why does this generation seek a sign? You know, what's this generation he's talking about? You know, we normally think of a generation as the, the people who are alive together in a certain period of time or a certain age during a particular time. But the Greek word also can mean uh, those exhibiting common characteristics or interests. 
So he's, he's identifying this, this group of people who have common characteristics. You know, the, the big common characteristic that I think he sees in these people is their, their unbelief. You know, he's, he's talking to these people who have made the conscious decision to oppose him. You know, this, this generation which is characterized by the Pharisees is looking for a sign. Perhaps they're looking for a sign that he will deliver a decisive blow against the, uh, the Roman Empire, those who are oppressing God's people. You know, maybe they're looking for a, in fact, they are looking for a Messiah who will be a, a mighty warrior to, to rescue them. Or perhaps they're, they're looking for a figure like, like Moses who will, will lead the people. You know, just like, like Moses led the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt to the promised land. But they refuse to see Jesus for, for who he is. He, they receive or they refuse to receive the teaching of this Messiah, this, this Son of God who has come and is telling them that they need to uh, love their enemies. One who has come to uh, be a servant and, and to suffer. You know, he just doesn't fit the, the mold of, of what they're looking for. And he's not going to give them the sign that they're looking for. They're spiritually blind if they weren't spiritual blind, spiritually blind, they would recognize the signs that have already taken place, the signs that he's already given them. You know, even when Jesus is crucified and is resurrected, there's still many, many who refuse to believe that. If God was to write in letters in the sky, they would look at that and not believe. Their hearts were full of unbelief. So when Jesus addresses them as this generation, you know, the Pharisees hopefully would have, they're experts in the Bible, they would have hopefully recognized uh, and remembered Psalm 95.10, which recalls the, uh, the stubbornness and the disobedience of, of the generation who followed Moses in the wilderness. It says, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, for they have not known my way. So this generation, signified by the Pharisees, claim to know God. They claim to teach God's law to others, but they don't recognize the sign that God has already displayed through Jesus because they've been blinded by their unbelief. You know, just as the generation that followed Moses did not enter into the promised land because of their unfaithfulness, their unbelief. These people will not enter into the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing. Um, <clears throat> here's a good illustration. You know, sometimes we can, we can be surrounded by the glory of God and not see it. Not realize it. Paul Tripp, Paul David Tripp, who I think uh, Matt just quoted earlier today, he, he's talking about taking his youngest son to the National Art Galleries in Washington, D.C. And he says, as we made our approach, I was so excited about what we were going to see. 
But he was undecidedly, or he was decidedly unexcited. But I knew that once inside, he would have his mind blown. He would thank he would thank me for what I had done for him that day. And as it turned out, his mind wasn't blown. It wasn't blown. It wasn't even activated. I saw such things as stunning beauty that brought me to the edge of tears. He yawned, moaned, and complained his way through the gallery, gallery after gallery. With every new gallery, I was enthralled, but each time we walked into a new space, he begged. He was surrounded by glory, but I was enthralled. He was surrounded by glory, but saw none of it. He stood in the middle of wonders, but was bored out of his mind. His eyes worked well, but his heart was stone blind. He saw everything, but he saw nothing. Unbelief is like this. Unbelief is like this. Something can be right in front of us, yet we don't see it. We don't realize its its significance. And this unbelief comes from a, a hardness of heart. A hardness of heart which is brought about by false expectations. You know, the Pharisees had, had made up their mind that they are not going to accept what Jesus has to say. They've made up their mind, in fact, that they're going to kill him. They refused to receive Jesus as the Messiah because of their, their unmovable expectations. You know, even today, people want to think of God in their, in their own terms. You know, the, they, they tend to cast him in their own image. You know, they tend to see Jesus as someone like them, someone who thinks the way they do. And they impose their values onto the image of Jesus. And in the process, what happens? They, they miss the real Jesus. That's what these Pharisees are doing. They miss the real Messiah, even though he's right there in their midst. And they say, you know, I I cannot believe in a Jesus who brings judgment on sin. People say, I cannot believe in a Jesus who claims to be the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven. They, They can't believe in a God who would allow suffering and, and tragedy. You know, what are, what are our false expectations? You know, how are, how are they causing our unbelief and, and our spiritual blindness? You know, the Pharisees' unbelief also comes from insistence on a, a sign, a sign of their choosing you know we can we can do the same thing i think i think we can all fall into this trap some might say you know i will trust god once i'm financially stable you know if if god gets me a job or a big enough bank account then i'll trust him or you know if i can if i can find the right husband or the right wife then I'll trust him. Or maybe once my kids straighten out, I'll, I'll trust him. You know, what, what are the signs that we are insisting on before we, we believe in God? You know, the second way unbelief from our text, unbelief can be manifest is, is fretting about our needs. Let's, let's go back to verse 13 here. 
As he left them, or and he left them, got into a boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many full baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, do you yet, or do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? You know, so Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. They cross the lake again. And Mark is setting the stage for the next scene, you know, by pointing out that provisions are lacking. They only have one loaf of bread. And Jesus gives them a warning. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, leaven of, of Herod. What, what is this? What's he talking about here? What, what is the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? You know, he was, he was trying to give them a spiritual lesson here. You know, leaven was seen in the uh, ancient Near East as, as a symbol of corruption. You know, leaven's usually seen in scriptures as a, a representation of sin and its, uh, its corrupting power. You know, just just a little bit of yeast can corrupt a whole loaf. It, uh, Paul's use of the word leaven sheds some light on that. First uh, Corinthians five six through eight, he says, "A little leaven leavens the whole lump," and he contrasts the leaven of malice and evil with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Jesus is referring to the uh, the corruption of of the Pharisees. He's referring to the uh, the corruption of, of Herod. You know the uh, the Pharisees are corrupt by their their spiritual blindness and their their rebellion. You know he says, "Watch out for that. Watch out for that. Uh, you you are in peril yourselves if you fall into the trap of unbelief." Uh, you know, and Herod was just evil. He, you know, he used religion for his own political purposes to to advance his own agenda. Uh, nothing new under the sun. You know, we need to be careful not to uh, fall into this kind of corruption ourselves. Well, these these super spiritual disciples, hearing the word leaven, they thought, oh, food, bread. Uh, you know, not even hearing what Jesus was really saying, they, they responded by saying, we're, we're short on food. We didn't bring enough food. And they, they started fretting about not having enough food to eat. You know, that Jesus' lesson just went right over their, their heads there. And Jesus, knowing that they had done that, you know, he asked them a series of questions. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't say so, but I bet you here he let out another deep sigh. <laughs> you know, he says, do you not yet perceive or, underst- or understand? Or are your hearts hardened? 
Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Or not remember? It's like, come on, guys, you know, don't you remember what just happened? What happened in the wilderness twice? Uh, you know, are, are you really worried about bread? Are you really worried that being here with you, I will not provide for you? Come on, guys, seriously. You know, but I think we can all give examples from our own lives. I, I sure have plenty. Uh, when I got out of the Air Force, we moved to Montana, and I took a teaching job as a uh, computer science instructor at, at, uh, at a local community college. And, uh, you know, my goal was to teach computer science, do a lot of hiking, uh, shovel a lot of snow in the winter, and we'd, we'd live out our days there. And uh, once I was in my fourth year, it became apparent this wasn't going to work out. I was going to have to find something else. I was going to have to find another job. And uh, this kind of threw me into a state of fretting. What am I going to do? I don't have another job lined up. The semester is almost over. You know, what if I can't find a good job in, in Kalispell? We own this house here. We're, we'll have to sell it and... You know, what am I going to do? I'm, I, was, I was fretting. I was worried. I was anxious about it. You know, I had a, a family to support. I needed a job. I needed to know for certain that my family's needs were, were going to be met, that I was going to have money to pay the bills and buy food. And, you know, what, what am I going to do if I cannot find a job? I really was fretting. You know, and I can look back now and I can see that I didn't need to worry and fret. You know, I can see that I really was not trusting God with this. I was trusting myself. And I wasn't even doing a very good job with that. You know, I was I was living like a person with, without hope. As if God didn't know what was happening. As, as if he was not going to take care of me if I put my trust in him. And... You know, this was this was a pivotal time for me. I learned a big lesson from this. I learned a huge lesson about trust. And I, I sometimes look back on that when I find myself fretting about something else. You know, just as Jesus said to his disciples, don't you remember what I did here and here and there? You know, when we were, when we were feeding the thousands, don't you remember that? Uh, don't you remember how worried you were that there's no way that we'd be able to feed these people? But, but he came through, didn't he? Don't you remember this? Um, you know what, what? What did you accomplish with all your worrying? How much food was left over? More than you started with. And you know, I have to ask myself. Well, don't you remember? You know, when you thought you weren't going to have a job, don't you remember how long you were unemployed? One day, by the way. I had a job within a day, within two days. So I got a day off there between the jobs. Um, you know, I had to learn to trust God. I had to learn to uh, trust God's timing. You know, and this is a lesson that Many times we, we learn over and over again. We see this with the disciples. Jesus is doing these things. He's repeating the miracles. You know, why, 
Why do we have that in, in the Gospels where Jesus does this one time and then he does it another time? It's because it's not sinking in. Anyway, poor Chris had to deal with me this whole time, and I think she learned a big lesson in patience with putting up with me. And, you know, other things have come up since. Hard things, things I... You know, I've had to relearn the lesson, just as all, all all of us do. You know, I don't I don't think we can ever run out of things that are potential material for for fretting and being anxious. You know, but God has provided in the past, just like He's pointing out the disciples. I provided then; I'm going to provide now. I can trust Him with my future. You know, just like that that hymn. How's that go? Um, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. You know, we can, we can follow into this unbelief trap, be spiritually blinded by our unbelief. You know, what, what sign from heaven are we looking for? You know, what, what kind of sign from heaven are, are we demanding? You know, we need to learn to trust Jesus. He knows better than we do what we need. He knows better than we do how to fulfill our needs. So we, we must not succumb to unbelief. You know, what are, what are we fretting about which is causing our, our unbelief? You know, what, what are we anxious about? What, what are the things that are causing us not to believe in Jesus and his care for us? You know, Jesus asked his disciples, are, are your hearts hardened? Do you still not understand? You know, have you not familiarized yourself with God's word, which tells us and shows us over and over that we can we can trust in God, that He loves us? All these promises we have, that we can read in, in His word—they're amazing. You know, do we have the wrong understanding of of who God is? You know, He He asks them, "Are you blind? Are you deaf?" You know, don't don't you have an adequate perception of who God is, His goodness, uh, what He's done in the past, what He's doing now? Um, what I'd like to do is acknowledge God for the things He has done. You know, what are what are some things that maybe we we have overlooked things that we need to think about. We need to remember things that will, Lord, you've given us so many things to, to remember your faithfulness, just as in the old Testament, how when the, uh, when your people crossed the river Jordan, you had them build a little pile of rocks there where (laughs) children could be brought back and, this could be pointed out. This is where God performed a miracle. This is this is where God saved us. And so, Lord, um, just like the man in, in Mark 9 said, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, when our, our faith is, is weak, help us to trust in you. Uh, you. You are the Lord. Uh, you know us 
better than, than we know ourselves. You know our needs before we can even utter them. Uh, we, we thank you, Lord, that we can lay our burdens down before you, that we can just hand our anxieties over to you because you care for us. And Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your love for us. So Lord, help us to, uh, to recognize and acknowledge the signs that you that you have given us just over and over again, Lord, help us to have a, a, a strong faith in, in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for laying down your life for us so that whoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. We just thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.